It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Anthony Hervey is a trumpeter, composer, and teacher who Wynton Marsalis described as a beautiful trumpet player of the first magnitude. He was recently chosen as one of Grammy.com's 10 emerging jazz artists to watch in 2023. He holds both bachelor and master of music degrees from the Juilliard School. He has performed all over the world with some of the best in jazz, including Wynton Marsalis, Christian McBride, John Batiste, and Michael Buble. Anthony has also opened for the Brantford Marsalis Quartet, and he is also on Christian McBride's Grammy award-winning big band album for Jimmy, Wes, and Oliver. What makes his body of work even more impressive is that Anthony is just 26 years old. The June 9 release of Words From My Horn on Outside in Music is Anthony's debut album. The 12 tracks highlight not only his 10 original compositions, but also Anthony's personal, musical, and spiritual voice. In this episode, we explore the backstory to Anthony's prodigious talent and his remarkable new release. Here now is our conversation. Let's talk a little bit about you and and where you come from, who Anthony really is, and what got you to the stage of where you are today as uh, what I would describe as being a masterful trumpet player. Thank you. You're originally from Terre Haute, Indiana. Yes. Yeah, I moved down to South Florida, uh, Miami, when I was, like, I think five years old. So I'm like, all my family's from Indiana, but I feel like I'm definitely more of a Floridian because that's because I've spent so much time down there. But, yeah, I need to go back soon. I miss, you know, going back home because that's where, like, all my family is, and I haven't been there since maybe 2020, but I, I miss the cornfields and just, just like my grandfather, he used to live in Anderson and he had a big cornfield right in front of his house. And I just remember like always riding past that. I, I need to get back there at some point. At a young age, uh, you were introduced to jazz. Tell us about that. I feel like my entire life I have loved music. So even before I played an instrument, uh, my mom, she told me when I was like five, I used to watch the Weather Channel because they would have like jazz playing and I just liked the music. So I, <laughs> I would sit in the room and just watch the Weather Channel just so I could hear the music. So and, you know, my mom, she also loves a lot of great music. So I was exposed to Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, the Jackson 5, anything that was like on MTV or BET. Like I've always loved music my entire life, but I, I never actually considered playing it until my mom suggested I pick up trumpet when I was going to middle school. And I didn't even want to do that. <laughs> like when she mentioned, oh, do you want to play trumpet and band? I was like, absolutely not. Like I would rather play basketball or something fun, <laughs> you know, but she convinced me to do it. And I think maybe a couple months into school, I accidentally heard Freddie Hubbard on TV. And <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this with my life. I think it was 20 seconds that I decided I was going to be a jazz musician. Hearing somebody play trumpet like that, it's so different from anything like I've really heard like in the culture or music today. 
and I don't, I don't know. It was just, it wasn't, it was Freddie. And then also in, in the video I saw, it was a documentary on Blue Note. So Herbie Hancock was playing, Ron Carter was playing, and Tony Williams and Joe Henderson. And just seeing the way they were interacting with each other. And then Freddie, you know, he's like rocking back, back and forth. He's got veins coming out of his head. And he's just playing the most incredible trumpet ever. I mean, it was really inspiring. I've never heard anything like that. On your website, uh, there is a quote as you open up the website. And it's uh, a quote from Langston Hughes. And uh, I, I found that very interesting because, I, first of all, I love the quote. And it's uh, the music from the trumpet at his lips is honey mixed with liquid fire. The rhythm <laughs> of the trumpet at his lips is ecstasy distilled from old desire. Why did you yeah. use that quote? <laughs> I feel like for me... That actually encompasses a lot of like what I try to emit when I'm playing. Also, Langston Hughes, he's one of my favorite poets because, you know, a, a lot of his poetry is influenced by jazz musicians. He was friends with a lot of them. Um, so I've read a lot of his stuff and I just find his, you know, work really fascinating. So I, th I thought it was a pretty fitting quote. And I honestly just really love poetry, so I have a quote from Maya Angelou as well. I think I might have one of my own quotes. E even on the front page, I have a charm on my trumpet that says, when words fail, music speaks. Like, that's like, I I'd say words are pretty important to me and my music. So is this something that you aspire to be, or is it just that you like the quote and it sums up how music should be played as a trumpeter? I feel like with music and especially with the, with your sound that you have on your instrument, I feel like your sound and your spirit, it's like all kind of connected. Like, so who you are as a person, like, is reflected through your sound. And so basically, like, as, as I practice, like, every day, really what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to eliminate that barrier between, you know, my soul and my music. So re really what I try to bring to people is I, I just try to express as clearly as possible and just kind of bring my spirit to, to a room when I'm playing. Because I feel like that is what can move a room of people, like, you know, the sound that you have and, and the way that makes them feel. A lot of your teachers, some of your mentors, uh, some of the people that have been around you have described you as being a great listener. How much of a, an importance is placed on, on that quality of being a good listener as a musician? That's extremely important to me. Honestly, I feel like throughout most of the day, I'm pretty much listening to music on my speaker. Like early in the morning, like when I'm, you know, drinking my coffee and whatnot, I'm usually listening to like Billie Holiday or Sarah Vaughn or like blues or something. And then as I go through my day, you know, I feel different things and I'm checking out different music. But I, I feel like the things you listen to, it's kind of like, you know, you are what you eat. Like what you listen to affects the way you think. It affects the way you hear. And so that, that's going to affect what comes out of my horn. You know, like I listen to a lot of singers, you know, so that's and I, I feel like I try to play with it. I also sing a little bit, but I feel like when I play trumpet, I'm really thinking of a very vocal kind of concept as opposed to like just solely trumpet. But I think, you know, someone like Louis Armstrong or Winton or Miles Davis, like those are like trumpet players who kind of play in a way that's more similar to a vocalist as opposed to, you know, just, ta -ta -ta, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah, listening is 
that's a big part of learning the music. So you obviously listened to your mother when she said, look, you know, give this, <laughs> give this thing a try. Try yeah. it for a year. If you don't like it, oh, yeah. throw it out. Uh, yeah. Move on. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Mama is always right. <laughs> In, in oh, your case, yeah. obviously it was. So after uh, Mama's insistence on your picking up the trumpet, which I think your grandfather played the trumpet? So my grandfather, his father played trumpet. And I never actually met him. But my, So my mom's grandfather played trumpet. Um, and so she remembered him, like, you know, sitting in their living room playing. And I think he was, like, an okay trumpet player. Like, he wasn't necessarily, like, the greatest trumpet player in the world, but he played trumpet, and so she had a memory of that. So that's why she thought it would be cool if I played. Now, my my grandfather, he was definitely a, a lover of music. So it was really great when I started getting into trumpet. Like me and him really bonded over music. So when when he saw that I was really serious about it and like trying to practice, um, he started. Um, he would send me CDs of like Duke Ellington. Uh, Maynard Ferguson, Louis Armstrong, it was all over the place. Chris Bodie, like he would send me all this amazing music. And, you know, we could just listen to music <laughs> all day long. Like a lot of times we would just go for drives and listen to music. I remember one time we were listening to Ness and Dorma and we turned up the car volume like as loud as possible. And we just kept looping the end over and over again. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. The journey took you from middle school and introduction to Freddie Hubbard, the trumpet, etc., and then you ended up at Juilliard. After middle school, I ended up going to Dillard Center for the Arts High School, which that, that band, they would compete in essentially Ellington pretty much mm -hmm. every year. So I decided to go there for high school because I was really serious about jazz music. And there were a lot of great musicians at that school from like Patrick Bartley to Russell Hall. I mean, I could go on and on. And so I ended up going there and Mr. Dorsey was a really great band director and teacher, but also he was able to get us, you know, to places like Ellington and kind of put us on a higher level. So I think that also helped elevate, you know, where I was as an artist and see the possibilities of where I could end up. And so a lot of students who were at Dillard who were a little older than me, they ended up going to school in New York. And so when I got to 12th grade, you know, I was like, I'm trying to play jazz music. I want to be there, too. And fortunately, I, I ended up getting into Juilliard. Well, not only did you have a, uh, a BA degree in Juilliard music, but you also achieved your master's there as well. Yes, yes. It was important to me, too. Yeah, because I just like, you know, I want to, I love playing trumpet, but also it's nice to be able to teach. I believe you should always be able to teach people what you do and, you know, kind of talk about your music. So, yeah. So it wasn't that long ago you achieved your master's, which was in, I think, 2020? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So not only yeah. did you achieve that, but somewhere, somehow, you tell me uh, how this happened, but uh, you ended up on a Grammy Award-winning recording, Christian McBride's Big Band, for Jimmy oh, Wes and yeah. Oliver. Uh, yeah. And how did that happen in conjunction, uh, or at least within that same time frame? That happened really fast. So like, <laughs> I think I actually had class that day and I got a call that morning and I guess one of the trumpet players um, in the big band, he couldn't make it for some reason. So I got a call 
like maybe an hour before my improv class. And I was like, and he was like, can you make this recording session in New Jersey today? Like right now? And I, I was like, you know, how do you say no to Christian McBride? I don't, I don't know. And he's doing a recording session. So I was like, I can make it. I talked to my teachers and they were cool. And man, I just hurried up. I got on a train and I made it down to New Jersey. And I had no clue it was going to win a Grammy. I mean, that's, that, <laughs> you know. So how did Christian become introduced to you? Or, or why? what yeah. prompted the call to you? Why, of all the trumpet players, he called Anthony Hervey? Yeah. Well, I actually met him at Jazz Aspen. That's the first time that I recall meeting him. Um, and I guess he really liked my playing there. So when he, when he needed somebody to fill in that spot, I guess this, this was probably a couple months after, or maybe a few months <laughs> after. And I, I guess he thought of me, and I'm just grateful. So since then, you know, we've kind of played off and on. So did that further push you along uh, within your career or take you to other levels or uh, other projects, gigs, et cetera? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, it's been nice to just have a musical relationship with him and, and you know, have him as a mentor and just be able to play with him. And I feel like all of these things kind of lead to other opportunities, like whether I'm playing with Ulysses Owens, like as now I'm in his band, um, the Gen Y Quintet, or playing with Jazz at Lincoln Center and Wynton Marsalis, you know, I, I think it all helped, you know, going forward. Well, you've met a lot of great people along the way that have been, uh, pardon the expression, instrumental in your development uh, and uh, achievements uh, thus far in your career. One of them you've already talked about, and that was Wynton Marsalis. Uh, did you meet him through the essentially Ellington? Yeah, Winton. The first time I heard Winton, I was in eighth grade, and they were actually doing a story on the Essentially Ellington program. And so I saw Winton on TV, and he was just talking about the music. But I had never actually heard of Winton until eighth grade. And, and then they showed clips of Winton playing on 60 Minutes. And that's actually what made me want to go to Dillard, because they did like a really prominent feature of Dillard High School. Like they, uh, um, and I was like, wow, this is in Fort Lauderdale, so this is like right by me. But that's the first time I heard Winton. And the first time I heard Winton, it's something about his sound and the way he plays. Like, it's just like, I've never heard a trumpet player sound that good. It's just like, immediately when I heard him, the first thought I had within five seconds is this dude is probably the best trumpet player in the world, <laughs> you know? And I, I honestly became like pretty obsessed with Winton. And I, I remember I, used, I had to get up at five in the morning, every morning for high school, like to, to get to school on time. And so every morning I would be on the bus, I would just be listening to like Winton, like Live with the Village Vanguard or like all of his records. And I don't know, it's been amazing to kind of develop a relationship with him over the years and to get to know him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. speaks highly of you. And, and I think that that is, is quite a tribute. I, 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 I can't remember the video where... It may, it may have been an essential Ellington where you were sitting next to him uh, on this YouTube video and uh, you guys were just wailing. And it, it was it was classic to see you, the young lion, sitting next to Winton. And the two of you are playing at a level of purity and talent that is truly excellence personified. Thank you. Was that the Marciac video? Um with, with like Russell and, and we were playing Portrait of Louis Armstrong, right? Yes. Yes, that was it. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That was probably one of the 
up to this point in my life, that was probably one of the greatest gigs I've ever played. Because, I mean, I feel like so much went into that. Like, I've checked him out for so long, and then I was, like, playing next to him, like, on stage at that level. It was, that was a really amazing experience. And then it was also, I was so nervous, like, playing next to I mean, whew, you know. I was really nervous playing next to him. Yeah, but. Anthony, except for one thing. You, after watching that and then watching it again, it was like, which one of these guys is sitting in first chair? <laughs> oh, man. We alluded to someone else that we talked about, and that's uh, Ulysses Owens Jr., who happens yep. to be the producer of your debut album. How did that come about? Well, I first met Ulysses at Juilliard. So he was actually uh, my small ensemble director um, for two years at Juilliard. Um, so that, that's where I first met him. And then I ended up playing in his band. I think I joined his band probably last year around this time. Yeah. But last year at this time, we were just coming back from Bern. And so when I was thinking about somebody to be a producer on this, he was like one of the first people who came to mind. Because he's really good, I feel like, at helping people, especially like newer artists, you know, kind of put music out and kind of create their sound. And I know he was familiar with my music from just working with him at Juilliard. I'm like playing in his band. So we had a lot of common ground musically. And he was really helpful. Was it he that inspired you or at least encouraged you to do an album on your own as the first time band leader? Well, I had been thinking about recording an album years before that. So I, I remember I had a lot of conversation um, with Winton about putting out music. And so he, we had like, we just went on and on about like songs, you know, how to go about picking a band and just all the details of putting out music. And then the thing that really got me to record, so... I think last year around this time, that's when I was like, okay, I need to record because I had just found out that I was going to join Michael Buble's band. Like Michael, he had dates for like six months basically straight. So I was like, if I don't record now, like I'm not going to have time to record. It's going to like take another year or two to get music out. So I, that, that's what made me lock down the time and get the music done. So when did you actually go into studio to record? August of last year. Mm-hmm. The album is called Words From My Horn. Tell me about the title. I have a charm on my trumpet and that my grandmother gave me, and it says, when words fail, music speaks. And that's a big part of my belief as an artist and like as far as what I try to communicate through my sound. So the title pretty much came from that. And it, I'd say that it's pretty much about like the power of sound to reach people in a place beyond words. Because... No matter where you're from, like no matter what language you speak, you can always feel music, especially I think even more so as an instrumentalist, because like you're, you're creating sounds of beauty and it's hard for people to get mad or, you know, to disagree with each other when they're hearing something that's beautiful. The theme of this centers around your mother and your grandmother and your upbringing. I feel like a lot of the music on this album is it's basically kind of just going through my life. Like, so a, a lot of the things I write about are maybe references to Indiana, like a song like Dreams from the Crossroads. So that song is a reference to Indiana. Um, and basically for my journey from Indiana, you know, because Indiana is known as the crossroad of America. That's like the state motto. And so, and the, the reason they call it that is because, you know, you have 
all of these like highways and train lines like cross through the city. You know, it is kind of a crossroad in a sense. And also talking about the blues, you know, it's it's also kind of a reference to that. Like you're at a crossroad and you're trying to make it through this crossroad, you know, and, you know, you have a dream and it's like, you know, you have to go through all these paths and challenges and you have to make all these decisions to get where you want to go. A song like Smoky Cloud um, is one of my first, that's like my first memory of my grandmother who passed when I was very young. But so the song is basically what I can remember of her. That's one where you vocalize and you're not featured on the trumpet in that one, but it's your vocal. But the theme of that one is the fact that among these clouds, etc., that your grandmother is telling you, it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And she embraced you with that thought. Oh, yeah. She was a really beautiful lady. And yeah, I wish she could hear the song. The fading haze of smoke I saw The radiance glow of your smile Across from me in a chair Cigarette in your hand Yours were a smoky cloud of pillows That held me tight And they told me everything Would be alright And for me, I, I was always raised by like really strong women, and they're the ones who pushed me to where I am. You know, so really, I, I feel like all of my success is really their success because they're the ones who pushed me and encouraged me, and which kind of made me realize I could get to that place. And you know, so the songs are inspired a lot by them. One of the, the first songs uh, that starts out uh, the the 12 tracks that are on this recording of Words From My Horn is The Crystal Stair. Tell me about that. What, what does Crystal Stair mean to you? So Langston Hughes has a poem called Mother to Son. It's one of my favorite Langston Hughes poems. Um, and the poem talks about a mother and this mother, she's talking to her son and she's just encouraging him to climb, you know, even though life may get hard, she's telling him, continue to climb. Even if the staircase has splinters and tacks in it, continue to climb, you know, because life, it's not a crystal stair. It's not going to be easy, but you need to continue to climb because she's still climbing. And if she's doing her hardest to climb, you know, you got to continue moving too.
for me, my mother, she's been a force that's always pushed me to be greater. Even if I didn't think I could do it, you know, she always believed in me, which, you know, inspired me to believe in myself and push forward. So the songs, for me, it's like a tribute to my mom. How many of the songs on this recording are your compositions? I have 12 songs. 10 of them are mine. And then the other two, one is uh, my favorite hymn, His Eyes on a Sparrow. And mm -hmm. then I do a ballad called But Beautiful. You do a beautiful song called The Glider. And, yes. and I love that because <laughs> it brought back memories for me as well of, of a relative who had used to have a glider on the front porch. Yeah, in Indiana, uh, we yeah we had a glider on our porch, and I just remember me and my siblings, we would, we would be out there playing, and yeah, we'd be watching the cars go by, and then you know the game, uh, that's my car, and like when you see the cars, so we would just be playing games the whole time. Yeah, it's kind of a memory of all those good times. And I guess uh, the rest of the tracks, it almost, uh, it, it's like a, a storytelling of your progression in your career and so on. You do a song called Afro Power, which yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think talks about the fact that uh, you're, you're yeah. finally arriving on the scene in New York. Yeah. And then oh, here yes. you are in your immaculate <laughs> Afro, yeah. as you pointed out. Uh, okay. Was this the beginning of, of your taking on the persona of Anthony Hervey yeah. with the immaculate Afro? Yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty funny. Yeah, so when I came to New York um, for school, uh, my hair was like so huge. <laughs> I just kind of came to New York with this huge Afro. I'm like, I'm ready to make it in New York City and play music and whatever. I was really inspired writing that song. I think out of all the songs on the album, I probably had the most fun writing that song. Like, it took me a long time, but it was it was fun. That song, Afro Power, is followed by one that's, I guess, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but uh, whimsical as well, and it's called Do-Rag. And that has yes. a number of, <laughs> of meanings. The, yeah. the, the pun intended was what? Well, it's, the song is based off of rag form. So I was in class with Phil Schapp in my fifth year at Juilliard, and I remember we were talking about like orchestration and like 
you know, John Redman and like Duke Ellington and all these great composers. And we started talking about the rag form, which has like multiple strains. It has modulations to different keys. And I thought that was really interesting because I feel like as a composer, sometimes I get stuck in, you know, very conventional forms like, you know, say a 12 bar blues or A, A, B, A. And then I end up using the same forms over and over again. But with the rag form, it was really interesting because I'm like, wow, I, I can have multiple strains and like have them connected and then modulate. So I was like, let me take that form and try to write like a contemporary rag. Because I don't really hear a lot of people like writing rags. So I was like, let me just try to do something with this. And I came up with like a really interesting melody. And then I just kept writing and writing and writing. I really like that tune because it almost feels cinematic. Like it'd be nice to do a video or something at mm -hmm. some point. But but it, it's and almost every single note on that song is written, except for like there's a brief part that's improvised in the middle. But yeah. So your your story continues uh, through the recording, and you do one. Uh, His eye is on the sparrow, and that kind of uh, talks about the struggle uh, and the commitment to overcome and to persevere. That's one of my favorite hymns. Also, before I played trumpet, um, I I used to want to be a minister. <laughs> really, I think I would be a very interesting minister. I don't <laughs> I don't know how that would go, but yeah, I, I used you know I would read my Bible like every night, and I was always in church. And yeah, before I played trumpet, I actually wanted to be a minister. So like, faith has played a big part in my music. Um, that's kind of where I'm coming from as a composer and as a trumpet player. So I thought it was only fitting like to do this song. Also, this song, I've listened to it many times, and it's gotten me through a lot. So, you know, I was like, you know, let, let me try to do, you know, something with this. Uh, so. Another track on there, which is a great follow-up to that tune, is called Better Days. And, and again, yes. uh, again, I think this, this uh, portrays that thought or that theme about no matter how dark it gets, it's going to get better. Yeah. I love that song because of the piano intro. Like, 
Because I feel like as soon as you hear that piano line, even when I've played this song on gigs, it's always interesting because I notice the room, like the energy in the room immediately changes every time we play that song because it has such an optimistic feeling. It's like something good is definitely coming right now. <laughs> I do that a lot, like on all my gigs. I usually start my gigs with that or I end it with that. Like, you know, let's end on a positive note, you know, better days, you know, because I think it's something that we all, we all should kind of strive for that. So hopefully tomorrow will be better. The, the entire album uh, concludes with the theme and the name yeah. uh, of the album, the title of the album, which is Words From My Horn. Was that specific uh, in your mind uh, that you wanted to end the recording with that and if so why i feel like that song is a great song to conclude everything because there's so much energy in that song but first of all it, i feel like it's also like at this point it's kind of like a personal theme of mine that i play on my trumpet like when i play that melody it's like okay like that's herbie's melody but but the song um it goes through so many things it's kind of like i feel like it's like the fireworks if you could have fireworks at the end of your set of music and I feel like there's no better way to wrap up a set of music than with that song um, which is also based off of a blues form but it has that piano trumpet intro at the beginning which is almost like a minister giving a sermon and then we kind of go into that like a church feel with the pedal I don't know. So I kind of tried to put everything in one song that you could possibly have. You know, what I really love about that tune, too, is the interplay between you and your sax player, who is uh, Sarah Hanahan. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> she just wails in that uh, tune. Oh, yeah. I love Sarah. So me and Sarah started playing together in Ulysses' band. And Man, I remember um, after we played in Bern, like we, we finished the set and then I talked to her afterwards. I was like, man, you know, you, you're, you're making me play because she literally, she's 110% every time she plays. So I'm like, man, I'm really trying to play behind you because I'm like, I don't want to get cut. And then it was funny because she said the same thing. She said she's trying to play because she doesn't want to get cut by me. So I feel like we have this really nice competitive spirit when we play and we both bring out like the best of each other.
she's really fun to play with. <laughs> and since we mentioned her, well, let's talk about a, a, some of the other people that are on the album. <laughs> the first one that I have uh, is a question about why is it you have two pianists on one recording? Yeah. <laughs> so on most of the album, Isaiah... Isaiah yeah. Thompson is who we're referring to. Yes. He's the primary pianist. Me and Sean, we recorded Durag together. And then Sean uh, is Sean Mason. Yes. Um, Sean, he used to live in Harlem um, near me. So I used to go over his um, crib and we would always play. And so I worked out Durag with him. So he, Sean is just on Durag. So it was kind of like a little feature between the two of us. And Isaiah is the primary pianist with the actual band. Both of uh, whom uh, went to Juilliard as well. Yes. And then uh, you have uh, a bassist, and uh, his name is Philip Norris. <laughs> and surprisingly yes. enough, he went to Juilliard. Yep. <laughs> you know, actually, Phil, Philip and uh, Isaiah, they're both my roommates. <laughs> I think Isaiah's about to move out, but I've known them for so long. So, yeah, I think we met maybe in high school. And then, as you know, we all ended up at Juilliard and I got to know them even better. And we even had a band together called Citizens of the Blues. So I feel like over the years, we've really developed a chemistry with each other. It's, it's like I can almost read Isaiah's mind. I know exactly what he's going to play. Phil knows what I'm going to play. And so when I play with him, it feels very different than playing with other people. Like, it doesn't feel like I'm playing with a musician. Like, I feel like I'm having a conversation with my friend. Like, it's like, it's like the personal relationships inform the way we play musically. And then, oh, yeah. you know, you round out the ensemble with a drummer who didn't go to Juilliard. How did he get into the picture? Okay. And that's uh, Miguel Russell. So, Miguel Russell. <laughs> so, I've known him a long time. So I went to Dillard High School. Um, Miguel, he's several years younger than me, but I remember him, you know, at jam sessions and events down in Florida when he was like really tiny. And he was like literally always a drum prodigy. So I've known of him forever. And I think he's, he's one of the baddest drummers on the scene right now. I would imagine, Anthony, you've got to be really uh, quite excited and proud about this recording. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. This music has been a long time in the making. I've been like writing these songs forever. And I feel like at the time I recorded, like I definitely needed to record these songs. And the way the recording came out, I couldn't have asked for more from the band or from everybody who was who helped make this music happen. So I'm really happy with the way it sounds. And I just want to see how people respond to the music. I'm excited that they can finally have something to listen to, feel, you know. I'm ready to put out more music. <laughs> And speaking of that, what is next, by the way? What is next? <laughs> well, at the moment, I'm trying to complete three big band arrangements. Um, so <laughs> I'm kind of putting the finishing touches on those. Then I'm also going back to the studio to record with my friend Isaiah Thompson. And then I'm just trying to, it'll be interesting how this album does. So I'm in the process of trying to plan a tour and work around the album so we can get a chance to play it for more people. And then I will also definitely be putting out more music at some point soon. So I want to get back in the studio again. Anthony, how do people learn more about you and this incredible pure sounding music of yours? <laughs> well, 
you can check my website. So my website is anthonyherveymusic.com. Also on social media, like Instagram, Facebook, I'm there, TikTok, and all of those, all of those social medias. And I'm also doing an album release at Dizzy's Club from June 15th through the 17th. So if you're around, check it out. You know what? This has been truly a wonderful session, and I'm glad that I had this opportunity to speak with you, Anthony. And I thank you for being our guest on All That's Jazz. Thank you, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with trumpeter, composer, and teacher Anthony Hervey. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.